This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. I'm Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And today, joining us, Doug, we have Justin David Carl, who is a fitness, money, and life coach who didn't get into great shape until age 31 and was $80,000 in debt and six years behind on his taxes, oof, until he discovered financial independence in his mid-30s. His nickname is Dragon, which we'll talk about later because there's a story behind it. He then went on to become a multi-millionaire and achieve financial independence. Justin runs Fit Rich Life Coaching, where he helps people get in the best shape of their life, master their money, and live a life they absolutely love. He's also the host of Fit Rich Life Podcast, a show about fitness, money, and life optimization. Justin has been featured on Money.com, The Financial Independence Show, Earn and Invest, and the podcast Love Selling, Hate Sales. Welcome, Justin. How's it going? Going well. Good to, good to be here with you guys. And th- it's an amazing bio. It sounds like a whole lifetime worth of stuff, which I guess is accurate. It's your life. But we're not going to be able to get into everything here. And I'm going to jump in sort of in the middle, and I'm pretty sure it's going to back into the story some. When did you find the financial independence movement? 2017 is when I discovered it. And I've been a fan of Tim Ferriss and the Tim Ferriss podcast. And this is back when I was uh, 80 grand in debt and six years behind on my taxes. I listened to this podcast interview on the Tim Ferriss show with this guy named Mr. Money Mustache, who I know you both are very familiar with. And I was just really intrigued. Like I'd never heard anyone talk about money like him. And I kind of like just, you know, parked it in the, you know, back of my mind and didn't really think about it until maybe four or five months later, I was finally cleaning up my taxes. And I was like, I really need some inspiration to like, keep me going on like getting all my like, my dumpster fire money situation cleaned up. So I went and googled Mr. Money Mustache. And I discovered the fateful article that many people attribute to their FI awakening, the shockingly simple math behind early retirement. I read that and literally like my mind exploded. And I was (laughs) like, if I had known this, like, eight years ago, I would be a millionaire by now. And that was a pivotal moment in my life. And I then like went on to actually organize a financial independence meetup group on Stanford campus. And just anyone in the Bay Area could come and Stanford campus is a really beautiful campus. Um, That's where I went to undergrad there. And it was just a great place to meet. And so that kind of like was the beginning of my FI journey. Super cool. What changes or what change or changes did you make after you read that shockingly simple math post? A whole lot. So, uh, you know, prior to uh, coming back to the Bay Area, I was in a uh, 
radically different career. I was actually working in Hollywood nightlife, throwing nightclub parties at the hottest parties in Hollywood. And I was making great money around 200 to 300,000 a year. But even though I was making such great money, I was probably spending 110, 130% of the money I was making. Hence, you know, every year getting more and more in debt. And so when I read that article and I like dived super deep into the financial independence, you know, canon of all the bloggers, podcasters, et cetera, I just went crazy. Like I'm a bit of an extremist. So at the time I was driving a Range Rover and I started tracking my money. And fortunately, like 10 years prior, I had like linked all my accounts to Mint, you know, a financial tracking software just shut down this year. But I did an analysis on my repair and maintenance for my Range Rover. And I saw in two years, I spent $7,200 just on repair and maintenance for that Range Rover. And I was like, F this, like, I'm, you know, in a happy relationship, I don't need to impress anyone anymore. Like I don't work in Hollywood nightclubs. And so I sold that I got a uh, Prius, a 2012 Prius, which I still own to this day. And I freaking love it. And I decided to stop going out to eat for the foreseeable future. And I even went to my wife and I was like, we're not even going to movies anymore because like, I want to save every single dime. And my wife was like, WTF, like what the heck? So fortunately in my situation, my wife has kind of always supported my dreams and goals. And so I shared with her this like dream of financial independence because I grew up in, you know, a lower income family where money was always really stressful. Um, you know, I was always like stressed to ask for new soccer shoes because, you know, my parents were fighting about money and money was always really tight. So, you know, at that time that I discovered financial independence, I just des- I decided for myself that financial freedom was my number one goal and freedom was my number one core personal value. So with that conscious awareness, I then redesigned my entire life. And fortunately, my wife is like, you can do whatever you want. And I was like, you can continue to go eat out at restaurants with your friends, but like, I'm not going to eat out unless someone else is paying uh, because I want to sock everything I earn into crushing my debt and investing in the stock market. Um, And so she kind of let me be as extreme as I wanted to be and bless her heart. We happened at the time I'd come back to Stanford to finish my undergrad degree because I actually stopped out with one year to go but then fell into Hollywood nightlife, got a little addicted to the lifestyle and didn't come back to Stanford for eight years. So I kind of like reset my life. I was, you know, renting a very inexpensive house is pretty much the most inexpensive, uh, crappiest house in a fairly nice neighborhood in Menlo Park. And though I started making more and more money, my wife was okay, begrudgingly like staying in that crappy house, even though we began to earn a considerable amount of money. And so I just kept my car expenses, my housing expenses, and my food expenses like 
as low as possible. And those are really the three biggest, you know, financial expenses anyone has is housing, car, and food. And so I just kept those super freaking low. And I actually went from $80,000 in debt to a millionaire in about two years after discovering Phi. Wow. That's pretty <laughs> dramatic. Did you <laughs> yeah. have a time? I mean, it sounds like you took extreme measures to do that. Did you have a timeline to do that? Or just as you started getting momentum, you like went even harder? H- how did you do it so fast? Yeah. So I originally thought it'd take me like seven to 10 years. But the incredible thing about, you know, financial independence, and then like when you set a goal, and then specifically, you know, one of the kind of key principles behind a lot of my life philosophy and life optimization, fitness, money, etc., is what gets measured gets uh, managed, empowered and manifested. And so I started tracking my savings rate. And I basically made it this like crazy fun game that I I decided I was going to have as much fun as possible and and feel as free as possible while pursuing financial independence. So I made like frugality like this huge game to me and the the score that I was keeping was my savings rate. So I literally got my savings rate up to 80 to 90% and I went from making about $150,000 a year to over 300 to over 400 to over 700 And by the time I was like making like 400 to 700 and then almost $900,000, those three years, like I had just discovered Phi. So by year three, I became a multimillionaire. Wow. I feel so unworthy. Stanford, LA nightclubs, uh, <laughs> fancy cars. I went to Northern Illinois University and ate Taco Bell for fun. Um, so I'm just curious. That is sub- super substantial income. What were you doing to earn that income? Yeah. So, you know, fortune favors the prepared. And I really consider myself lucky that I discovered financial independence at this time because you know, I left my career in Hollywood nightlife and I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I figured when I went back to Stanford, I would figure it out. And I ended up becoming the founding team member, employee number four of a Stanford startup that was essentially providing snack programs and catering programs to tech companies, top tech companies across the nation, which it doesn't sound like a big business, but a 500 person company spends about $2 uh, $2 million a year on snacks, you know, like Google, Facebook, they all have unlimited snacks and beverages for the employees. And a 500 person company spends about three to 5 million on catering, because they also, you know, pre pandemic, there was like Monday through Friday, uh, almost every tech company had lunch for the employees and many of them had dinner as well. And so I was selling multi-million dollar deals and I strategically, even though I was like a founding team member and they encouraged me to, you know, become like a VP of sales and move into like an executive role. I was like, no way. I don't want to manage people. I want to own my time and I'm going to stay as an individual contributor. And so essentially, I was doing uh, business to business sales to enterprise level companies, you know, companies anywhere between 300 people and, you know, a few thousand. And so I was able to sell, 
you know, multi-million dollar deals and then make commission off that. So because I had a commission paying job, I knew that the, you know, smarter I worked, I could actually, you know, radically increase my income through commissions. And I really feel like, you know, B2B tech sales jobs is like a cheat code to financial independence because you can just earn, you know, in the Bay Area, New York, major met- metropolitan cities. If you're selling like a really expensive product or service, you can just make insane amounts of money. So at that time, I had like a career coach or actually two and they literally told me like, hey, Justin, top salespeople actually make 500 to a million in a year. And I, at the time I was making like 150, 200 and I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, and you could totally do that because you have the skill set, you have the charisma, like your, you know, personality and, you know, your background is really good. And so that kind of gave me permission to go after that type of income as well as like access to the possibility because if you don't believe you can make a certain amount of money, like you'll never even try. But then if you know people who are earning that and they say that you can do it too, then it's like, holy shit, why not go after this? And so I just made it this like huge game and, you know, to keep my expenses as low as possible and earn as much money as possible. And kind of like one of the coolest things about this is the truth is I was really only working about three to five hours a day, four days a week Hmm. as I made that. Because again, all my company cared about was my performance. And when I first joined the company, I was kind of like I had PTSD from working in nightlife. And I did, I had a, about a year and a half career in investment banking. And I was just like, like I, I had worked like, you know, all the time, just crazy hours. And I was just like, when I joined the company, I was talking to the CEO and founder, I was like, I don't want to like work insane hours. And he's like, are you familiar with Tim Ferriss? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Four hour work week. He's like, Justin, I don't care how much you work. Like as long as you perform, you can manage your own time. And so that gave me permission to like really, you know, have an incredible journey to fi. Like I didn't have to frugal myself in to a corner, like because I had chosen to have like fun while I was doing this. And I also didn't have to like kill myself with work. And instead it was just like the smarter I worked and the more strategic I was in like, you know, winning these big deals, the faster I could go to financial independence. So originally thought it'd take me seven to 10 years, ended up taking me about two, two and a half years because my original five number is 1.5 million. So yeah. Wow. It sounds like going back to school sort of facilitated the career change. This is still probably pretty tough. Can you talk about any struggle from maybe like your identity standpoint and just transitioning from like the nightlife to, I guess, back to school and then more of a kind of a corporate job, though you had a ton of freedom, but that whole transformation. And I'd be also curious to know what you went to school for. Yeah. So I, Stanford has like very like, interesting degrees. So they don't have an undergrad in business. So you can either do economics or 
management science and engineering ms and e but there's also this degree called science technology and society and i chose science technology and society with a focus on entrepreneurship because it allowed me to avoid the hardcore engineering classes and i consider myself like a soft engineer like i can do engineering courses like math and and that type of stuff but i have to work really hard at it it's not natural for me so by doing science technology in society with a focus in entrepreneurship i was able to take all the like entrepreneurial classes and avoid a lot of the hardcore engineering classes which worked really well for me so going back to hollywood you know and we can dive into this if if we want we don't have to but you know unfortunately you tend to pick up the habits and activities of the people around you so when i was in working in hollywood nightlife i was drinking 7 days a week cuz i was in a nightclub 7 days a week i was smoking marijuana every single day and i was quote unquote what i called a functional smoker so like i could literally be high and working and then i also got addicted to uh Adderall never had a prescription and so that uh was another reason that i kind of like stayed in the nightlife business longer than i probably should have is because i was just kind of like suppressing all these things and staying just comfortable enough not to make a change and so kind of the the beginning of that was i decided to stop smoking marijuana because my life had kind of flatlined like in when i was working in the hollywood nightclub business i was making about the same m- amount of money every year and i just felt like my life hadn't like you know been getting better every year and i reflected back and i realized that you know prior to starting to smoke marijuana i had a lot of drive and ambition to do things and the marijuana really killed my drive and i have no problem for the record like people using marijuana i'm just again like i'm an extremist so it was like for me abstinence is easier than moderation so i stopped smoking marijuana fell into deep suicidal depression for about 4 months and then after the that cleared i was like i need to get out of this business I, like i wonder if stanford will take me back and i was one of the reasons i was consuming so much drugs and alcohol is cuz i was ashamed that i never finished stanford and so i kind of suppressed that shame with substance abuse but fortunately when i called stanford i was like hey i'm thinking about coming back you know i said i was going to leave for a year but it's been 8 like will you take me back and they're like absolutely we'd love to have you back we have people who've been gone for one quarter and people who have been gone for 20 years that are coming back and i was like what like so i'm not even in the middle of the pack and so i was like i literally just like left my career in hollywood I had a business partner at the time. I just kind of like let him take over the business and I went back to Stanford to kind of figure out the next thing. And then as fate would have it, like I met the CEO and founder of this company that I became a part of in a class at Stanford because I was looking for people who would like bring about a new version of myself. And this CEO and founder 
during his presentation because he was in grad school in this lean startup class where basically they launch a real startup. And then I was in this class called Global Entrepreneurial Marketing. And part of our coursework was to help a real startup with their marketing. So he gave a presentation to our class and he talked about meditation and yoga and living a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, I was eight years older than pretty much everyone, you know, now that I come back to Stanford. So after his presentation, I went up to him and I said, Hey, I'm looking for friends my age. Would you be my friend? Dead serious. Like I just went up to him and said that. He paused, looked me in the eye and was like, sure. And so we became friends and I wasn't even thinking about joining his company. But as I finished up school, he had been accepted into Stanford's accelerator program called StartX. And I knew that and I was like, oh, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to work with startups because one of my other childhood dreams besides going to Stanford was working at uh, like being a part of a Stanford startup. So I was like, maybe if I can get a job working at StartX, I can work with all these different cool Stanford startups and then I can choose the one that I want. want. So I went, met him at the StartX headquarters. We went for a walk, got coffee, and then at the end of the you know coffee walk, he was like, hey, I'm having a strategy meeting for my company. Do you want to join? And I was like, sure. He's like, cool. Feel free to contribute. And I did. And then at the end of that meeting, he was like, would you like to join the company? And I was like, sure. And like, I could have never predicted this, but you know, I had come back to Stanford to reset my life, to get into a better career that would support this new evolution, this new version of myself. And, you know, because I took those steps, the universe delivered. So, wow. essentially, I Stanford was this reboot. So, I chose all these new friends, all these new people that just, you know, really helped me like step into a new version of myself because the reason I chose to go back to Stanford was because I asked myself like, okay, I know this being in Hollywood nightclub, uh, nightclub business, essentially like I, I did like a qualitative review and I was like, I'm becoming five to 20% worse of a person per year. And if I span this out over 20 years, I'm going to be a terrible person. So I have to get out of this. And I was like, the place where I know there's the highest concentration of like brilliant people with good hearts doing good things in the world is at Stanford. So I need to go back to Stanford. So I use Stanford as that opportunity to get myself into the right environment around the right people to reboot my life. Wow. That's pretty amazing. And I want to shift a little bit because you're in fantastic shape. In part, you know, we mentioned it before, you're a fitness coach. And I think you're like year round, you're about uh, sub 10% body fat. So, like, you take it seriously. It's a lifestyle, you know, right? So, you also have fit, rich life. And I'm curious when you started to get in shape because you mentioned you didn't get into great shape until you were 31. So that's the marker. How does this all play together? And then I'll let you explain some of the core principles of fit rich life and how they integrate fitness, personal finance, life design and all that. So a broad question and I'll give you the floor here. Yeah. So I was what I like to call kind of fit, kind of fat most of my life. So no one would be like, 
call me like severely overweight, but like I definitely didn't have a six pack. I was not excited to take my shirt off at the beach or a pool party and, or even go to one. And I had tried everything, every diet, every supplement, every workout pro- program. And then kind of as like a throwaway thought at uh, 31, I was like, I'm going to w- try working with an online fitness coach. Like, because I've been trying this for like 15 plus years myself, um, literally since I was a kid. Like I used to like get up in the morning and go run before I go to like, go to jump on the bus to go to high school and stuff. And so I ended up working with a fitness coach and literally in six months, I dropped 30 pounds of body fat and went from around 18 to 20% body fat to under 10%. And I was just like, what the fuck? I'm sorry. I don't know if I can uh, swear on here. Uh, What the F? And I was like, why did I wait so long to work with a fitness coach? Because you don't know what you don't know until you know it. And it's just like the power of coaching. And, you know, I can get into this is it like provides accountability as well as strategies and avoiding all the mistakes that people make. So like you can figure out everything for fitness or money or like life optimization online, but to actually have someone hold you accountable and show you like an action plan that is going to get you there in record breaking time, you're just going to get there like 10 to a hundred times faster. And so essentially, you know, after getting my own fitness coach later, when I was, you know, 34, 35, I started working with like career coaches and life coaches. And I just like started to achieve all my dreams so much faster. And I just recognized, you know, the big piece for me oftentimes is holding myself accountable to doing what I say I'm going to do. But when you have skin in the game and you invest in coaching, like you're not going to show up to a one-on-one you know, coaching session with your coach and be like, yeah, those things we talked about me doing over the last two or three weeks, I did none of them. It's like, no way. Like I paid for this. I'm going to like get my money's worth. So I'd, and maybe I wouldn't do some of the things until like the day before the session, but I would do them, you know, essentially and show up. And that accountability piece was the piece that I was missing. Um, as well as like actually understanding, you know, for fitness, like the biggest thing, 80% of it is nutrition. And like you can you can't outwork your diet. And I I tried to outwork my diet for, you know, 15, 20 years. I used to eat like quote unquote clean six days a week, like chicken and broccoli only, dead serious for every meal. And then I'd have a cheat day on Sunday. And I would eat everything I deprived myself of pizza, beer, burgers. Indian food, all this stuff. And when I started working with my coach, he had me track my nutrition. And what we discovered is on my cheat days, I could literally eat like 10,000 calories. So that, yeah, no problem. Five to 10,000 calories, no problem. And so that 10, five to 10,000 calories destroyed those six days. So it put my, it put me above my maintenance calories, which made me like essentially like I was just getting a little bit fatter 
like every year. Not a lot because like I would train like no joke, two to three hours a day at the gym and then three to five times in addition, I would go for like a two to three hour hike. And so like I was working out insane amounts, but I my nutrition didn't support my fitness. So it was like no matter how I, hard I worked, I couldn't get that six pack that I so desperately wanted. <laughs> so... I, I bet since you were doing all that and you had probably like pretty high maintenance calories, once you started cutting, is that like you were able to do it so fast because you were so active anyway? Yeah, hundred percent. And the other thing, interesting thing my coach had me do is I used to work out seven days a week and my coach was like, dude, you have to take at least one to two days off a week to let your body like actually recover and like lock in those like gains, those muscle gains. So I actually stopped working out as much. And like, you know, I shortened my workouts, worked out less per week, and I got way more fit because like my nutrition was on point. And then I already had that solid base of training, but I pulled it back to a point where my body could actually catch up with the training. And then I had the nutrition to empower it all. Okay. And we have a segment coming up where Carl and I are going to get some uh, free fitness tips from you. But that's one thing. I think I was chronically like overtraining, which is exactly what you're talking about. And I think I wasn't, I wasn't eating enough and I definitely wasn't getting enough protein, but I don't want to spoil my question for later. But yeah, it's so interesting when you're, you're actually like doing less, but you're getting better results. And you're like, no, I've trained myself to like go to failure and like work out every day. And like, even if you're tired, like keep pushing. And really it's like, do your sets, get the fuck out of there and then relax the rest of the day or go for a walk, right? Something that's not going to stress you out or like beat you down. So yeah. One other thing I I quickly want to mention is this is another mistake I see with so many people is like, they don't follow a program, like a workout program. They just go to the gym and they kind of do whatever And my coach was like, no, here's your like, you know, your five day split. Like you need to do this and you need to take advantage of the principle of progressive overload, which like you'll stay on the same training program for like four to 12 weeks and week over week, you will increase the total volume of weight moved. And you can do that in two ways. One, increasing the weight Two like increasing uh, the number of reps. And then there's a third way you can add more sets. And you can increase volume a couple other ways, but those are the three main ways. And I wasn't doing that. I was just showing up at the gym and like doing whatever. And then I actually followed a program and I actually built strategically the body that I wanted to have. Gotcha. And Carl, what do you think? What do you do when you go to the gym? Just run around a little bit, carry a weight? Dog throwing me under the bus. I've seen I've seen you there. No, I don't No, yeah. What do you what do you do when you go to the do you have a goal? Do you have the program or whatever? Yeah, I guess um I'm aligned with what David said about the I'm sorry, Justin. Justin David Carl. You've got like three first names. It's very confusing. (laughs) I know it's so confusing for my teachers. Yeah. (laughs) Including one that's my name, so I'm further confused and I'm easily confused to begin with, but yeah, I try to do what David said. I keep track of what I do and try to do a little bit more every time. If I did six pull-ups, my second set last time, I tried to do seven next time. Got it. His name's Justin. Call him Justin. Well, what did I say? You said David. Did just I say it again? Call him Dragon. Just, call him Dragon. It, there we, we know go. him. 
We, we know him through David, so there's further confusion. <laughs> That's all right. Dragon. We could call him Dragon. Well, we will talk about the nickname Dragon and how you got it. But before that, we do have a sponsor today. We're going to talk about our sleep. And this is from Ghost Bed. So one thing that helped me the most, and we've talked about it over and over again, is like I'm a hot sleeper and I wasn't getting enough deep sleep. And once I added um, some components to help me sleep cooler, it helped out a ton. I get more deep sleep. I feel better. I'm not hot all the time. And I know, Justin, that's something we talked about in the past. So are you a good sleeper now? And are you were you a hot sleeper? Are you now? Can you just talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Doug, you came on my show, formerly Alchemized Life, now Fit Rich Life podcast. And that was one of the things you mentioned to me was like actually using a cooling system for your, for your bed. And I fortunately took your advice for my birthday uh, a year or two ago. I forget. I invested in a system for my bed and like my recovery, my sleep radically improved because you know, my experience is men tend to run hot and women tend to run cool. So like, especially if you sleep with someone else, it adds even more heat into the equation. And so if you have some sort of cooling system that, you know, can keep you cool, it definitely seriously improves your sleep quality and your recovery. And would you say now you think of me like every day when, whenever you get into bed? <laughs> <laughs> Every night I'm like, I so. Doug, thank you so much. I thought so. It's the same with Carl, but for a different reason. No. So what, what about you, Carl? You sleep hot and you were telling me the other day you were having some trouble with your chili pad, right? Yeah. It seems to have sprung back to life. It was for one night, it didn't work, but then it recovered and now it is working again, which is glorious. And one thing with a uh, ghost bed, so they have like a... I think it's like a gel foam in one of the layers. And I know Carl and I both have a pillow from them and it has the, the gel foam. And it actually, I mean, for me with no hair, it actually keeps my head quite cool and it makes a big difference. So that's one of the pieces of technology that they have. So it's not active cooling like some of the other stuff, but it, it does have enough. It's sort of like a heat sink. So it'll pull that heat out of you and it does make a difference. And you you have checked out some of the pillows, right? So did it cool your head off a little bit? I have. Yeah, it was great. I only got to use the pillow for a couple of days and then my kid took it and never gave it back, which is another testament to it because she sleeps hot. And she likes a good pillow. So I don't need, yeah, someday I'll have to either commandeer it or just go buy another one. Yeah, we can we can get another one. So GhostBed is a family-owned business with 20 years of experience, and they've collected over 60,000 five-star reviews. Plus, you get a 101-night at-home sleep trial. So you can check it out and see if you like it or not. And if you don't, you know, there's some procedures for you to return the mattress, or I think it's actually a donation. So like you donate it somewhere and people in need can use that bet. So you could use our special link, ghostbed.com slash milehighfi with code milehighfi at checkout and you'll get an unbelievable 50% off site-wide. So let's talk about your name, your nickname, Dragon. Where's that from? Why is that a good nickname for you? Yeah, so essentially it was a nickname given to me by my now wife back then, in Hollywood nightlife, best friend. 
And I was always obsessed with dragons. Uh, I was very, still am very into fantasy books, currently reading a fantasy book at night to help me go to sleep. And there's definitely a dragon in there. And essentially dragon captures my fiery spirit and magical approach to life. And my wife, I, you know, back then called her Phoenix. And so a lot back in Hollywood, like all my closest friends, we all had like animal nicknames. Uh, we're kind of like the crazy animal kingdom. Um, you know, I met what my wife, uh, in, uh, a, a nightclub of all places. So you can find diamonds in the rough. Um, you know, I, I jokingly call her a club rat, like, a you know, an ex club rat. And she's like, can I be a club squirrel? Cause a rat doesn't sound very good, but she just used to party at my parties all the time. And that's how we met. So when I first came into the Stanford startup, our CEO and founder was like, when I joined the company, he was like, you have to have an avatar. I'm captain Kirk. Who are you? And I was like, well, all my closest friends call me dragon. And so you know, at work, we use this communication system called Slack. And so my Slack name was at Dragon. And then everyone at my company just called me Dragon. And then all my friends up here in the Bay Area started calling me Dragon. And that's essentially the origin story of the Dragon. It's also my main power animal because I'm, I'm into power animals and all that hipster spiritual stuff. All right. Carl, do you have a power animal? <laughs> I was about to ask you the same question. I, there's low-hanging fruit here. I'll take the flamingo because my legs are pretty skinny. Uh, what, yeah. what would yours be? Oh, I don't know. I, I have a border collie, and they're, they tend to be kind of neurotic, so maybe a border collie. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm not sure. Do you have, do you, what do you think our spirit animals are if you were assigning it to us? I mean, we, we'd have to come up with something good. I mean, Flamingo is pretty hilarious. And like, yeah. you know, I, I, we'd have Border Collie is kind of like a mouthful. So is there a short, you know, name for oh, yeah. Border Collie? Oh, uh, Nelly. No. <laughs> yeah. So my mom ha always had Border Collies growing up and we had a Border call Collie named Nelly. So your nickname could be Nelly the Border Collie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to workshop this. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. All right. So I think it, one interesting thing that you mentioned before, it, like your whole transformation, multiple too. Some some more physical, some more with your career and your lifestyle. You seem extremely motivated. Yet, you found so much value when you started working with coaches. And I'm just curious, like like I said, you seem motivated and, and you were you took whatever it is you were interested in and you you ran with it. But what, why do you think the coaches helped so much? And you did say accountability, but is there anything else a little bit deeper? Yeah, so it's interesting. So I actually, seven years ago, tried to launch my own coaching, uh, fitness coaching business. And like, I literally could not get a single person to sign up. And then about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half ago, I launched Fit Rich Life Coaching, which is a fitness and money coaching program. And I hired a business coach who had already had a seven-figure online fitness coaching business. And basically, by working with him... I was able to hit six figures in the first year profitable since month one. 
And like, again, he just like, he held me accountable to doing what I needed to do. Like he gave me the template, the blueprint, like all the different little things that I needed to do, as well as, you know, the weekly activities and and everything, the roadmap that got me there. And at the same time, I was also working with another coach, a different type of coach called an EFT coach, emotional freedom technique and emotional freedom technique. Uh, it's actually my wife is an EFT coach, but I, I was not working with her because it doesn't work to work with your family as a coach. Don't don't try that. And I knew I would like sabotage myself if I didn't like deal with like whatever was internally holding me back. So I hired that EFT coach for two reasons to make sure that I had a successful coaching business and also to finally launch my podcast because I had been talking about launching a podcast for like 10 years. But for whatever reason, there was something in me that held me back from like doing it. Even though again, like I am, you know, fair, like you said, very motivated, you know, I'm an overachiever, but oftentimes there's these like subconscious things that are holding us back from achieving what we want to achieve. And so I actually realized like while I was working with this EFT coach that there was a subconscious part of me that was afraid that if I started a podcast and start talking about my success online, like my, and this is going to sound stupid and crazy, like my parents wouldn't love me anymore because like I was so much more successful than them. And so by working with the EFT coach, I was able to uncover this subconscious belief that I was unaware of. And then I was able to actually have an empowering healing conversation with my parents sharing this fear. And they were able to be like, no, we want you to be successful. Like, go start your podcast. But like, I didn't realize that was the thing that was holding me back. And, you know, I had dreamed of being a coach since like, probably 13 or 14 when I first read Tony Robbins, uh, Awaken the Giant Within. Like I dreamed of doing that, but I didn't think I was like good enough to like to actually do that. So by working with the EFT coach and a business coach, I worked on both the kind of like strategic side and the emotional spiritual side. And together, like, you know, both my podcast and my coaching business has been, you know, fairly successful. So that's so. interesting. It sounds like you had a bit of imposter syndrome, which I don't get from you talking to you right now. You seem like you ooze confidence, but <laughs> would you say you had imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think humans in general, you know, I've worked with over 60 to 75 people over the last year and a half as a coach. And I think almost all humans suffer from like, I'm not good enough subconsciously which then like leads into imposter syndrome. And I think that I don't think coaching is necessarily for everyone for everything, but if there's something you've been wanting to do for like one to three months and you still haven't done it or like you failed at it or you, you haven't even started, but you've been thinking about it for at least three months, maybe three years, maybe 10 years, that's when I say like, you need a coach, like someone who's going to hold you accountable and help you get there 10 to a hundred times faster. And so like, whenever I find myself being like, oh, I want to do this thing, or I want to go to this next level in this area of my life, if I've been thinking about it and not taking action on it for like over three months, I just hire a coach to help me like 
bust through that plateau. One other quick follow-up, how do you find a good coach? And this could be a fitness coach or an EFT coach. How do you find, especially fitness, like Doug, I've seen, so Doug and I go to the same gym, Justin, and I, I've seen some of the fitness coaches there who the person is doing sit-ups and the coach is watching YouTube videos. And that's something I, I would not want to hire a coach who's sitting there watching videos on their phone, but it goes a lot deeper than that. How do you really find a good coach who's aligned with what you want to get out of fitness or anything else? Yeah, really great question. So essentially, like I would hire a coach who has already done what you want to do or has clients that have achieved what you want to achieve. So like to me, it is insane when people hire a fitness coach that is not in great shape. Like it does make no sense to me. Same thing with like a business coach. The reason I worked with the business coach I worked with is because he had already made over a million dollars in a single year with online coaching. So I knew he knew how to get me to a successful level. So like if they haven't, they don't have proof, either they themselves have done it or their clients have done what you want to achieve, whether it's fitness, whether it's money, you know, whether it's like healing a certain area of your life, if they don't have either client testimonials or like proof that they've actually done it themselves, like you're wasting your money. And a a follow-up on that one, I haven't gotten a coach in in a while for anything, but how important is the personality fit? So for example, if I was going to get a fitness coach, like, would you advise me to get like five and have like, you know, paid, paid session, like do five, I'm going to click with some people. I'm not going to click with others. Or is that kind of a waste of time? I wouldn't pay for five. I would just like get on a, like a consultation with them and see if you vibe with them. If you feel like their Mm -hmm. coaching style, their energy like feels good. And you're like excited. Like when you connect with them, like listen to that internal, like, you know, like whether it's friends or like colleagues, you know, the people that after you spend time with them, you feel uplifted, energized, and then other people you spend time with them and you feel drained and exhausted. Pick a coach who makes you feel uplifted and energized and like where you feel like, oh, I like their coaching style. I like their personality. I like their energy, but I would not pay for five coaches. I would just do a consultation until you found one that like where you felt that connection and like, hell yeah, I would enjoy working with this person. All right. So in a second, we'll get to our free fitness uh, tips for me, Justin. But for people that, for let's say there's an audience member out there who is feeling a little lost or they're stuck in a rut and they want to make a big change like you, you did multiple times, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So a couple things. One, like put yourself in an an environment that's going to bring about that change, right? So I'm thinking like right now, New Year's, like a lot of people are like, okay, I want to get fit or I want to like, you know, uh, cut back on alcohol or whatever. So, um, or I want to like change my career. So one of the things I did in my past is like, I literally just like went from Hollywood nightlife in back to Stanford. I completely radically changed my environment. Now, if I had gone back to Stanford, but like, you know, spent all my free time going to nightclubs in San Jose and San Francisco, like I'd be in the same place as I was. So you got to be careful that if you physically change an environment that you don't like bring whatever you're trying to like get away from with you, but you can change your environment virtually very easy. Like, so one of the things that I love about 
different types of coaching programs, many of uh, which I've been a part of, is they often have like a mastermind or group aspect to it like mine does. So I always work with about 25 to 30 clients at a time. And we have twice a week uh, group mastermind sessions where all the members come together. And getting around people who are going after the same goals that you want to go is one of the most inspirational, energizing things that will keep you on the journey. Because if you're by yourself trying to make this change, whether it's pursuing financial freedom, pursuing a new level of fitness, you know, achieving some life goal, if you're just surrounded with the same people who are used to you kind of being you, they're going to like be scared of you making changes because people are comfortable with changes up until the point where it then jeopardizes their lifestyle, right? So if it's like you and I like are the only time we hang out is when we go like drink alcohol and like whatever. And I'm just using this example because I'm nine years sober. Like if I say, hey, brother, like we're not going to the bars anymore. We're going to go like hike and go to the gym. If you're interested in that goal, you'll join me. But if not, you'll start to be like, hey, you know, just one drink, what, just come for one, come on. And like, you have to, I'm not saying cut that person out, but I'm saying bring in new people that will bring about this new energy. And that can come in the form of a coach or joining like a group, you know, of people like you don't even have to pay for coaching. You could just go to a meetup group that's like super obsessed with like hiking or biking or rollerblading or, you know, join a CrossFit gym or whatever. So you get yourself around the right people because you know, any transformation like usually takes a fair amount of energy and time. And we all have a finite amount of willpower. And if you're not having fun on your journey, at some point, like your discipline will, will fail. But if you're having fun, fun taps into spirit and spirit is infinite. And it's a infinitely renewable resource of energy, right? And if you're excited and energized and having fun with a group of other people, you're going to stay on the journey to achieve that goal or that change. Yeah, it's hard. I'm at a point now where, funny, this just happened this past week where I'm not drinking now. And this one friend, anytime they ever want to do something, it's always 100% Ben, let's go here. It's stop month or let's have a drink here. I'm like, well... I guess I could do that, but I'm not going to have any drinks there. Why don't we go to this potluck at the co-working space? And I haven't been able to get them to do anything not around drinking. So this is difficult, but I just like maybe <laughs> yep. this friendship has to go away because uh, their values are not aligned with mine at this moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And I, I was back in Atlanta and I hung out with uh, my friends and we would always, yeah, we would go out and drink basically. And we went to a bunch of uh, beer fest and different stuff like for years when I was back last time I was like ah, I'm trying to be a, eat, eat a little cleaner and like not be as crazy and drink and blah 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 and I was like let's go for a hike and luckily they were all up for it they were like yeah we, we are doing the same thing so yes let's go for a hike and we hiked for a few hours and it was great so we like all independently kind of ended up in the same spot and it lined up, but I was a little nervous. I'm like, I don't want to go out and drink for three or four hours in the afternoon and like ruin that day, ruin the next half the next day and all that. So yeah, it's tough. I don't know how to, to balance it, but I guess if you keep rejecting their invitations, they'll eventually get there. <laughs> yeah. And, so one, one principle I really love is, is be the lighthouse, not the tugboat. 
So don't try to convince anyone to do anything. Just say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'd love to have you join me, right? So like, hey, like I'm, you know, decided to be dry for January or the first quarter of the year. Like, so instead of like going and drinking, I'm going to go hike. I'm going to go bike. I'm going to go work out. I'm going to, you know, go, you know, visit like interesting things. Like I'm going to play spike ball, pickleball. Like I'd love to like do that with you. Are you down? And if they're like, no, I just want to do this. Be like, no worries. Whenever you're ready, like that's what I'll be doing. So like, you're welcome to join me, but no pressure, but then find the people that are actually doing what like aligned with the lifestyle that you want to live. And like, have those people fill in the gaps that those previous relationships, you know, are creating, you know, uh, like a lack of social connection. All right. So Carl, why don't you ask your fitness or health question and then we'll do mine. Oh man. I feel a little self-conscious now because Justin is in better shape than I, but I'll go for it. So Justin, real quick, I'll give you some background. I am 50. I just turned 50, but I feel like I'm in pretty good. My body's in good shape. I'll say that nothing, no aches, pains, no injuries. I could probably do eight clean pull-ups, maybe 30 or 40 clean push-ups in a row right now if, I, if asked to. But I had a lot of cookies over Christmas. So I'm up to about 21, 22% body fat. I'm extremely active, 20 to 25,000 steps a day, often with a weight vest on. Oh, let's see what else. And I can take it off pretty quick too, even now, like one and a half to two pounds a week is I can do that without too much effort. So that's half of it, getting in better shape. But the other thing is I want to be in good shape growing old. And I'm 50. I know my testosterone is down and you can't put on weight the same way you can when you're old. So maybe I'm asking two separate questions and maybe there's two separate answers to these. But those are my goals to get in better shape as far as by body fat. And it's really not body fat. It's more stuff like blood pressure because I see that going down if I lose five pounds, I can see it directly in my blood pressure and my resting heart rate. So I want to improve that stuff, but I also wouldn't mind being a little bit stronger. So I have better balance. And so I don't break hips and stuff when I'm old. Whenever you have a goal, you have to get clear on what that goal means. So, you know, I want to get in better shape. Like that is a very elusive goal, right? So you have to you know, what I do with my clients is we turn everything into a smart goal. So specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time bound. So, you know, whether that's like improve, improve my blood work by X by this date, which means you need to go like get your blood work done. And then you need to start taking action each week, you know, through your, your nutrition and your recovery protocols to actually improve those scores. Right. So, when you were pursuing financial independence, did you track your expenses? Yes. Yeah. So this is why I love fitness and money together, because if you want to get in incredible physical shape, like, and usually incredible physical shape means you need to get your body down to a certain body fat level to reveal the muscle that you have underneath. Because even if you're 20... Two per 20 to 22% body fat, like you said, if you feel your stomach and flex your abs, you have abs under there. You have muscular abs. Everyone does, but you have to get to a certain body fat percentage to reveal that. So one, what is a specific smart goal for your fitness? Is it achieve X percent body fat? Is it 
improve my blood work bot, you know, in these areas. So get specific about it. And then what gets measured gets managed, empowered and manifested. So if you want to achieve a certain level of body fat, like you have to track your nutrition, because they've done studies on this people over s underestimate what they eat by 50%. So even if you think you're eating your maintenance calories, or think you're in a slight deficit, chances are, you're above your maintenance calories, which means like you're gonna essentially just get a little bit fatter every year, um, unless you're going way over and then you'll get significantly fatter every year. So um, it's not a forever, like one of the things I've realized in my own five journey is I used to be like maniacal about tracking everything, but now that I'm financially independent, like I don't really track very much. I kind of have intuitively know what to do. And it's the same thing with my fitness. Like I tracked, like I essentially have tracked my nutrition for nine or 10 years straight, but now like I can take days or even weeks off and intuitively eat and maintain sub 10% body fat. And so, you know, with you, if you want to achieve a certain physique, like treat it like your fi journey and track it. Right. So that's my answer to that. You know, essentially you got to get specific about like what fitness and health means to you. Create a smart goal, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time bound. And then what are the activities that I have to do each and every day and every week to achieve that? And then start tracking those things. And then what gets measured gets managed, empowered and manifested. Cool. Thank you. All right. So I want to get down to about 11 or 12% body fat. And I'm currently about 162 pounds, 5'9". My maintenance calories are about 2,900 per day. I did count calories for about two months in the fall to get a handle on it. And that was enlightening. I wasn't eating enough protein. And I'm targeting currently about 160 to 200 grams of protein per day. I'm counting those. I'm not counting as much other stuff. But over the two months, I kind of dialed in what I was eating and how much. So I'm eating a little bit more. I'm actually trying to like put on a little bit of weight right now. I rarely have protein shakes or anything like that. I'm aiming for like mostly whole foods. And that's been crazy. I, don't, I think I told you, Carl, like I'm not hungry at all. Like 160 to 200 grams of protein is a massive amount of food. And I am not hungry at all. And I like have to force myself to eat more. It's really crazy. So I think I'm about 15% body fat right now. And I've added a few pounds of muscle since probably September or so. And this is just with a scale. I haven't done a DEXA scan or anything else. So it's not extremely accurate, but directionally, it's I, I know where I'm heading. So I'm not in a hurry at all. I'm looking at a long timeline and I'm curious what a, a good plan and timeline would be. Of course, I understand everything you just told Carl. So I would need to start tracking again when I need to start cutting. But what other insights do you have? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of a scale that can track your body fat. So I have all my clients use a Withing scale, which I've been using for about a decade. And I've done DEXA scans. And for me, and it's different for everybody, my Withing scale is actually within about 1% accuracy of a DEXA scan for me. Now, it depends. Everyone has like different physiology and bodies. So it may not be as accurate. But like, again, just the directional 
Like, are you trending down in body fat or you're trending up? So, you know, for you, if you have a long timeline, you know, then you could, you know, you could kind of loosely track or track like, you know, a few times a week to kind of like get that dialed in. But if you then wanted, you know, if you're at 15% body fat, you could probably like in 90 days of focus, like 60 to 90 days of focus, easily get down to 11 to 12% without starving yourself. Because I love that you mentioned you eat whole foods. So I, you know, I go through periods where I'm not taking any protein shakes, protein bars, and I just eat all my protein. One of the best ways to like feel full and satiated is to like not consume any processed food and focus on on whole foods. So essentially, you know, I think where uh, you may be stuck a little bit is like there's a loose timeline. Like you got to choose a date. Like when am I going to achieve 11 to 12%? Because if it's just like, ah, I want to get there, but it's like next year, two years Mm -hmm. from now, a month from now, you know? So one thing that could be really helpful for you, uh, Doug is like plan a trip somewhere sunny where you're going to have to like be in your shorts and like you have a, like something to inspire you to get into shape you know, book a trip to Hawaii or whatever and be like, cool, I'm going to Hawaii in like two and a half months. I'm going to track my nutrition, you know, 90 to hundred percent of the time. And I'm going to like weigh myself every day and see, check my body fat and literally just start tracking that. And you'll hit that goal. And even if you miss it and you're like 12.5%, you're still going to be like, hell yeah, I'm fitter than I used to be. And that's the beauty of setting goals that are smart goals that are time bound is like, even if you miss the goal, but you're infinitely farther or closer to that goal than you were when you started, you're still stoked. Like I set a goal for myself last year to earn $600,000 and I made 540,000. I was like, fuck yeah, I missed my goal, but I still (laughs) made a fuck ton of money. Sorry, apologies about the F-bombs. No, no, that's encouraged. Okay. And that makes sense. And you know, one thing, and you mentioned to Carl, like all the cookies over the holidays, like I was actually doing really awesome from September until maybe mid-November. And then we had a million parties. My wife, like one of her hobbies is to bake cookies and she gets offended if I don't eat a lot of them. Right. So, (laughs) and and then there were all the parties, right. And I was drinking more uh, alcohol then. And so I was like, I actually kept it actually still made progress, but it kind of derailed me. And now I'm like refocused, but yeah, you're yeah. right. I, I was like, if I have a long enough timeline and I'm just like, I, I will pick a timeline, Justin, you gave me a great tip there. So I'm not going to uh, discount that. But I was like, I want this to be like a lifestyle. And I, and as long as I'm making a tiny, like even whatever 0.2% body fat a week, that's great as long as I'm moving in the right direction because it'll be way easier, I'm pretty sure, to stay where I'm at if I got there very slowly versus like, all right, I'm going to do a sprint because I know, I mean, technically, I could probably lose a few percent of body fat in like a month or so without, I mean, I'd I'd be really hungry. <laughs> but, yeah. but anyway, and there's okay. A- there's additional strategies you can put in place that like would make it even easier for you. But you know, one thing I always like, cause I work with a lot of people is like, usually when like ab- about Thanksgiving through the end of December, I'm like, just like go on a lean bulk, like just yeah. let yourself <laughs> like eat more, like just, you know, 
focus on putting on muscle and then we'll focus on like shedding the body fat in the new year. And yeah. like that way you actually enjoy the holidays and you're not stressed about like, Oh, I'm like going over all my calories and just like have fun, relax. Because like, again, like if you're having fun on the journey, you're going to stay on the journey. But if you're like miserable, you're going to quit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you can't lose if you don't quit and consistency compounds. So like, the reason I'm like sub 10% year round is because one, that's my goal is to be sub 10% year round. So every once in a while I bump up to like 11, 12 and I'll be like, okay, let's, let's get focused and I'll get back down. And, and so I have a time pound goal and then I've built up this light, like a, you know, combination of lifestyle habits that makes this really easy for me, you know, and I just made this decision. 10 years ago that I'm going to be sub 10% year round. And then I've just built a lifestyle and habits around that goal. And now it's like no problem for me. Hmm. Very good. Okay. Well, we got to start wrapping it up here. And there's a couple things that you, they're sort of freebies, right? So you have a savings rate tracker and then a four day workout program. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And we'll link up to it so people can get to it, of course. Yeah. So the savings rate tracker, the reason I built that is, is because that's what got me to financial independence. Again, what gets measured gets managed and power to manifest it. And, you know, Mr. Money Mustache and like one of his articles, as well as in this, uh, simple path to wealth and pathfinders, basically there's that chart that shows you if your savings rate is 5%, it's going to take you like 60 years, you know, to become, you know, financially independent or where work becomes optional. You can, uh, or you can retire. If you get it to about a 50% savings rate, you're around 12 years. If you get around to a 65% savings rate, you're, I think at like, I don't know, eight to 10. But then if you can get it up to like 80 to 90%, like it's like three to five years. And so if you track your savings rate, then you actually have like something to work towards. And so like with my clients, I just have a, like we set goals. So my goal for every one of my coaching clients is to get, eventually get to a 50% plus savings rate. I think that's achievable for everyone. You know, that's like JL Collins, like simple path to wealth is like essentially a 50% savings rate. So I built that because I wanted my clients and any buddy who like enjoys my content to like be able to actually start to easily track their savings rate. And, you know, cause then they know how fast they're going to financial independence. And the way I think about savings rate is that it's actually the inverse of, of body fat. So the higher your savings rate, the richer you're getting, the faster you're getting and the lower your body fat, the more jacked and ripped you look. And so like by tracking those metrics and then strategically taking the action to improve them, because like that's the key to tracking is you have to choose a key metric like that is literally going to, you know, bring up like by working on that metric and bring about the result. So there's a savings rate tracker that I've put together for anyone. It's free You can go fit rich life coaching.com slash tracker. Um, and then I also built a free four day workout program. Cause again, if you're not following a strategic program that leverages the principle of progressive overload, you're just going to like kind of like, we all see these people in the gym. We see them there every single day for months, years, and they look about the same 
all year for multiple years. And that's because they're just showing up and like just doing something. But when you start following a program, you can like strategically, quantitatively, like augment your physical body in the direction that you want to go. And I love strength training because you can actually build a physique. And a lot of people, even if they're thin, they're like skinny fat. And there's two, the two biggest reasons is one, they're not getting enough protein. So 0.6 grams to one gram per pound of body weight, unless you're like severely overweight, then, you know, might need to adjust that a little bit. Um, and then resistance training that takes advantage of a actual, you know, four to 16 week program that focuses on progressive overload and that will fix the skinny fat problem. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. We'll link up to all that stuff. And uh, I'm the person at the gym that looks exactly the same all the time. So I, I'm trying, I'm trying to Are you to following a workout program or are you just showing up? I'm, I'm, sh yeah, I am showing up. I actually need a program. Like I, I generally, I'm, I'm aiming in the right direction and I change the workout like every four to six weeks or so, but I need an actual program. So we'll, we'll talk later. Cause I know I'm just flailing around. You've seen me in there on the elliptical. I look like a crazy person, right? No, I think you look great. And I, I do look different, but I look worse. <laughs> All right. Justin, this has been great. Where can people find you? Yeah. The best place to connect with me, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, at Justin David Carl. Um, uh, but you can also go to fitrichlife.com. but I'm pretty much Justin David Carl on all, on all the socials, Twitter, X threads, LinkedIn. Like you can just search Justin David Carl. I love to connect with people. I have tons of, you know, free empowering content. I have a gr great newsletter that I share a tip, tool, or strategy for fitness, money, and life every single week. And you can just go fitrichlife.com slash newsletter, no spam, just empowering AF and easy to unsubscribe if it's not what you want. Awesome. We'll link up to all that stuff in the show notes. And thanks again. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind is pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. All right. Do you do like cold plunges and ice bath and all that kind of stuff? Absolutely. 
one of my favorite things about moving to Santa Cruz about a year and a half ago is I do my workout in the morning and then I go to West Cliff Beach here in Santa Cruz and I jump into the Pacific Ocean and get that natural organic cold plunge. And then after that, I usually go to one of my gyms that has a sauna and I uh, warm back up because it's not crazy cold, but it's still like 50 to 55 degrees. And after, you know, four to 10 minutes, it's uh, definitely uh, my body is pretty chilled and uh, I'm too lazy to like let my body naturally warm up. So I just go drive five minutes and jump in a sauna for 10 to 20 minutes. That's awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask. So it's about 50, 55 degrees in the ocean. Yep. Okay. And it doesn't sound like too, too cold, but I was at a hot springs a couple weeks ago and they had, I think their pool, their cool um, plunge was like 58 and it felt like ice water after being in like 108 degree pool. So it's pretty dramatic. What's the coldest that you have? Like maybe if if you've gone in like a, a proper ice plunge thing. Yeah. So I've been in one that's around 35 degrees and it is shockingly cold. Like, like (laughs) it doesn't seem it's only like 20 degrees colder than the ocean, but it is like jarringly colder. Like, I could barely last two to three minutes in that where I can easily do over 10 minutes in the ocean. Hmm. Carl, what do you, what do you think of that? Your face is uh, appalled. I'm just thinking, <laughs> I, I think in days of old, they tortured people by sticking them in 55 degree <laughs> water. And it kind of amused me, Doug, when you said 55 isn't that cold or whatever you said. We happen to have a pool at our house and there's a big difference between 80 and 70. Like our kids won't even go in there when it's 70. And I've been in. 55 degree water and it's pretty freaking cold. I can't imagine what 35 feels like. You just, I imagine you just have to go in there all at once and pay the price. 100%. You're literally like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) you like your body, like I can jump into the 55 degree uh, ocean and not like freak out, but into 35 degrees, like I can't help but freak out. Now, maybe if I did it every day, my body would get used to it, but when I did that was uh, last year in July, I was on a trip uh, for my wedding anniversary in San Luis Obispo. And this uh, gym I was going to while I was on vacation had this like 35 degree cold plunge. And I was like, let's do this. And I was like, wow, this is significantly colder. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that that sounds so jarring. And I, I mean... I guess I, I got to try it sometime, but yeah, luckily I, there's no spot around here that I know of. So I don't, I won't actually have to follow through in the short term. No, no, Doug, I have a spot for you. It's called our pool. We didn't put the winter cover on. So as soon as the ice thaws out, you can oh, come yeah. over. Yeah. Okay. It'll be maybe great. we'll check that out. 